0: The following is an at will presentation. All right we're gonna to start today's show with a segment called People who annoy me okay number one why is it that when you tell someone hey I'm going on this great trip to, uh, to Europe you know and, and we're gonna sightsee and everything and and the, fir- and the first comment isn't oh my gosh, where are you going like where are you gonna where are you gonna visit It's actually just are you flying business? I swear, the last two times I've gone places, I'm like, oh, I'm going to Africa. Like, it's gonna be so exciting. And they're like, they're not like, oh my gosh, that's great. Are you gonna go on a safari? They're like, are you flying business? And I'm I'm so confused. I'm like, wait, am I flying business? Uh, Why does that have anything to do with anything? And they're like, because, do you know how long that flight is? Like, I could never fly that far and not fly business. But I just – so those people I've excommunicated thus far. They're the most they're, – they're number one most annoying people. The second most annoying people uh, is the people who, speaking of uh, traveling abroad, come back from uh, Spain and say, I went to Barcelona and, <laughs> like, they're being culturally refined, but actually they're just being an idiot. That's really what that's called. Or the people who say uh, that they're traveling to Ibiza – for uh, a couple of weeks to be an idiot yeah well don't don't if you go to ibiza or if you go to barcelona do me a favor don't come back and tell me that you went to ibiza or barcelona because i'll just laugh at you and and i think most of the people (laughs) would agree with me on that the third most annoying person is grown-ass men who give me a handshake with their left hand i just like you know when you're like when you're when you're going to reach out for someone's hand, shake it, and they give you kind of, like, their left hand. Like, maybe they have their phone in their right hand, but they don't even have the courtesy to switch it over to the other hand. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. And I feel like it has been happening more lately. Someone's like, oh, like, you know, hey, nice to see you. And they give me, like, a weird left hand. It's weird. It's awkward. You're like, well, this guy obviously doesn't have uh, enough respect for me to, to give me his right hand. All right, anyway, that's my segment called Will's Annoying People of the Day. We're going we're gonna to come back to that, I guarantee it, because a lot of people have been annoying me. Um, maybe this just a 2017 thing. Today we have a very special guest, Jennifer Morrison. She is an actress from the hit TV show Once Upon a Time. She also was on the show House for about 27 seasons. Uh, we're so happy to have her today, and I got to sit down and talk to her about her acting, as well as her departure into the world of directing. Uh, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on the show. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Do you ever um, sing?
1: I do. I grew up singing. I was in musical theater and, like, played Eliza Doolittle and My Fair Lady and Anna and the King and I and Hava and Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, but
0: that's a long time ago. Right, I know.
1: It's been a while. But and i have got to
0: warm the pipes. So. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, And then I've, like, sang randomly here and there in movies, but not anything major. Really?
0: I never—I feel like I never knew that.
1: Yeah, it was never, like—it wasn't, like, a pop song or anything. It was just, like—like, I played a sorceress who's fragmented into five parts of herself, and they all had to sing a different harmony to be united into one being. Wow. Yeah. Sign me up. (laughs) I know. How do
0: I get the DVD (laughs) on that? I haven't
1: even seen it. I don't know.
0: What do you mean? Where is it?
1: I don't know. It's called Albion. When did it happen? It was— I shot it uh, last hiatus. So oh, it's really? somewhere. It's somewhere. I don't know where it is. But it's like, so there's 10 minutes of the movie where it's six of me arguing with me.
0: Hold on a second. You just did this project. Like a year ago. Where you're singing and... Yeah. Okay, so singing is like a thing, but do you, do you go to voice lessons? I just started
1: again um, singing lessons again with this teacher... I don't, Eric I don't know his last name that's terrible I've only had like two lessons it was really fun because I haven't yeah, sure. I haven't like used that part of my voice in so long and I was nervous that it wouldn't still be there and then it was like there and more because ah. I think because I've like <laughs>
0: and then some
1: you know m- matured in some sure. way and I've used my voice properly as an actor for so long and I warm up when I do plays yeah. and I warm up for certain things on set um so I think because I've been like using my voice that way for so many years, it was kind the of the muscle
0: is still trained. Yeah. Yeah, I would be so I obviously I used to sing back in the day, not right. obviously, but yeah. I used to sing back in the day and I haven't really besides like I feel in like a crowd. You could do it. No, but I I that's what I would worry that I would open my mouth and it would be
1: Oh. It's terrifying. Like I can't I have a lot of trouble singing publicly unless I'm playing a character. So, like, so that it's like, I'm, it's not
0: actually me, right. is the as character. As long as I'm
1: being someone else, right. then I can do it. And and it's fine. And, I, and I've like trained and prepared mm. and I've learned it and I kind of over know it. Because no matter what, you're going to be nervous and that takes some of your breath support away and it changes how your vocal cards yeah. are. So it's like you have to over know it so that when you have some limitation in right. the moment, you're actually still able to do it. Um It's funny, though, that you say that you sing because I went to go see Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 yesterday, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. And one of the lead guys... Who is like the Russian guy that I can't remember any of their names? I'm terrible with Russian names. But the I'm terrible
0: with Russian names—they're very specific. <laughs> those Russian names. Well, it's names. like it's, well, why it's I either s- Boris yeah. or it's no because uh, it's like Antonov.
1: It's like reading Dostoevsky. I can't get yeah. through it because I can't remember everyone's names. Right. and They have so many names, and then I have to keep going you have back. To go back. And, yeah, it's annoying. Yeah. So anyway, the guy who's like he looks a lot like he could be your brother. The guy, the actor who's playing the role, and Had he's got seen like him blonde before? hair. No, and I should have I should have looked up his name in the program. But his voice is absolutely phenomenal. But I was looking at him going, he looks so much like Will.
0: So he's very good looking then. <laughs>
1: he's so handsome. Yeah,
0: okay. I was waiting for that part. It's like, <laughs> he is. Well, actually, handsome. that's
1: like the whole thing in the show is that he's like so hot. Like there's actually a song about how hot he is that wow. he can walk a certain way. Yeah. So anyway.
0: Well, I got to meet up with this guy.
1: Yeah. So you guys could be brothers and he's got a great voice. And okay. maybe you could like do a duet or something. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm just going to cold call him.
1: You should. Hey, you should get solo. him on the show. He's so good. Yeah, okay, He's fine. amazing. I'm going to
0: make him prepare a nice musical piece. Yeah, yeah. So we can... Okay, so... But that's not something that you would ever stop what you're doing to pursue, the, the singing part of it.
1: Well, you mean like as a pop star?
0: Not as a pop star, <laughs> but like, you know, a lot of people... They're actors or they're, you know, performers in some way and then they then they like wanna do music as a as a passion project uh, you know solo album.
1: Christmas album. I would that's so funny. I would love to do a Christmas album. I (laughs) I would like to do something with my sister. Drunk Christmas album. Drunk Christmas album. So it's like pretty good,
0: but you slur a lot.
1: But here's what I would like to do. My sister is an incredible musician. She's written she's a singer-songwriter, she's also a music therapist. She wrote a song that was on the credits of my short film, and she actually wrote another song that's going to be on the credits of my feature that I just directed.
0: Singing or singing, playing? Singing, playing
1: guitar, and she wrote both songs. Wow. So, um, and they're really incredible, and we're sort of, her husband and I are kind of trying to figure out making an EP with, for her with the group of people that helped her do the song for the end of Sundogs, the, the feature. Yeah. And I would love to, like do duets with her or sing something she wrote or be a part of whatever yeah, she does musically. Totally. But um, I don't have that, at least right now, that burning thing to, like, make my own album. I, I just enjoy it more as, like, a hobby. And I would like to get back on stage. So if there was a musical that made sense for me, then I would totally, like, throw myself into preparing for that. But um, I just have to figure out what my life looks like because my contract ends in April on Once Upon a Time and you know I don't know what that means like they haven't picked up the show officially yet they might they might not like if they do What season? Six right now this is the
0: end of that the the original contract April is the
1: end of the original contract so we're just kind of waiting now to see like if the network decides to continue with the show and if they do continue with the show if they're gonna rework it to be something else or if they're gonna invite people to stay or you know so we're just kind of in a holding pattern right now but uh, it's re- it's really complicated because I have like a really fierce loyalty to the show in a certain way I'm like fiercely protective of the character mm. and I feel like so many amazing things have come to my life because of it you know it's, it's really like made my life better in so many ways and um, I don't have any interest in like abandoning something that is such a special part of my life but I also know I don't have it in me to like do it forever. You know, so it's it's more about a life decision kind of thing. And and I don't even know how to make that life decision until I know what ABC even wants. So well, how be, was that for some political I'll be waiting.
0: Yeah, that was very vague and great. Thanks. Speaking of once upon a time, is it just me or do you wear the same outfit in every single episode?
1: I wear pretty much the same outfit in every single episode.
0: What the, what gets changed?
1: So I wear, I've been wearing the same J Brand size 25 jeans since the entire time. Yeah, since the beginning. Which but, but they have I a sort lot of like different feel, pairs. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that there's like a million pairs. But people don't realize is we shoot everything out of sequence, and so. The last thing I want to do is change my pants four times a day. So I'm fine changing my shirt over and over again, but, like, I have a mic pack on. So, like, the mic pack is, like, down my pant leg, and it's taped under down my... Down pant leg. Down the <laughs> pant leg. It's taped under my sports bra. It's, like, tucked in all these places. So it's, like, I don't want to take all that off. And, and you start, don't have to. No. So I, I just keep the same pants and, and shoes on and keep my mic pack on, and then I'll change my shirt if it's, like, a different scene or my jacket, you know? Well unless I need to be in the red jacket which is a lot but um,
0: uh, has there ever been a show that had a main character wear the same thing in almost every episode
1: I don't know I know there is a there is a genius to it that Eddie and Adam have had which is that what they wanted to do was take an everyday character and make it as iconic as any other Mm. Disney character. Right. And so, like, when you think of Snow White, you think of Snow White's dress. When you think of Cinderella, you think of Cinderella's dress. Like, when you think of Little Mermaid, you think of her with, like, the tail and the seashells. And you know what I mean? It's like you you immediately identify something visual Mm. with those characters. And so that was something we had long conversations about going into the pilot was how do we do that with everyday clothes? Like, what is it that's going to be so... Of its own thing. That when you see a red leather jacket and blue jeans and knee high boots, you go Emma Swan. Yeah, immediately. I mean, girls show up at conventions in that outfit, and you know, yeah, it's not that
0: hard. It's not that hard, but it's it's also you know,
1: but you don't look at her and go like, oh, that girl wore a red leather jacket today. You're like, oh, that girl's dressed as Emma Swan. You know.
0: Who makes the leather jacket?
1: Well, there's many of them. We've gone through, yeah. So we started with a terrible one that was like. Unwearable, but we found it so last minute for the pilot that we were stuck with it on the pilot. And then there's a company in Vancouver, I think, I should know the name of the company, that made the next round of them. And then we had variations on colors because it was like everything from like fire engine red to kind of more of a burnt uh, okay. red. Depending on what's happening. Well, kind of depending on how the show's color timed to be honest because the show gets timed kind of bright sometimes I know most people don't know what color timing is so that sounds weird but you kind of shoot the show and light the show a certain way and then they go in digitally and they adjust the color so that there's like a set look to any given show and sometimes because they dial it so bright and they dial the red so bright that I could be wearing something that is like a burnt brown and it looks bright red Right. so some of it has to do with that as well
0: that's a lot of like preparation then
1: yeah, well, one time, I because I really, really can't stand the super bright red jackets. I really like the more, like, burnt red ones. And there's one in particular that I really like, and they know that's, like, the hero one that I like to wear. And I can't remember what season it was, but they brought me the wrong red jacket. I was like, no, 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 I'm going to be like a fire engine in this. I can't wear this one. This is not the right one. They're like, no, this is. This is the hero jacket. It's marked as the hero jacket. I was like, I know that it's not. I live in this jacket. I know. And they all made me feel like I was crazy. They brought me, like... 40 red jackets I didn't even know we had that many and it was every single one was a different variation on red and I was like none of them are it and then sure enough they found like the real one somewhere else and I was like I knew it I knew this wasn't the right one. Oh my god yeah anyway
0: it's the little things that turn into the big things
1: I know and it was dumb and no one I else would have it. known but me <laughs>
0: Do you have any bad habits
1: bad habits i mean i drink a lot of coffee i don't know if that's a bad habit yeah of course how Um, much coffee are
0: we talking if it's actually worth talking about
1: well uh, i kind of just drink coffee all day this is an
0: intervention
1: (laughs) maybe i do just drink coffee all day um multiple yeah i probably have like a pot of coffee a day really yeah
0: throughout the day when's your last coffee
1: I've already had, like, two or three cups, and then I went and got this Americano on First the First of way. all,
0: that's not a cup. That's, like, a cup and a half, right. two cups. Right. So three of those. Probably. And then what?
1: I'll probably have one more before the <gasps> day's over. <laughs> what? Is that bad? But then, I mean... I, I feel okay. I don't like to know, have ulcers
0: or anything. <laughs> you don't know that.
1: I mean, that's true. I don't know. I, I'm so... how I'm, like ridiculously healthy and like disciplined in other ways so it's my one vice real vice like I I basically just eat vegetables all day long I I don't drink during the week I'll only have like wine or a couple drinks on the weekends I
0: very boring I know I've become like a grandma
1: I'm the worst unbelievable I do yoga or Pilates every day well six days a week and I like I don't know. I have, like, a whole system of only having a certain number of calories every day, and I'm really, really regimented in so many things, but coffee's, like, my one thing. That's the one bad habit. Yeah. I think so. I don't even know
0: if it's a bad habit. It's just a...
1: Potentially unhealthy habit. Potentially. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. When you you Google your name, mm -hmm. do you know that one of the things that comes up is Jennifer Morrison arms? (laughs) No. Yes. It's like a lot of normal things, like you know Jennifer Morrison, uh, you know Once Upon a Time, Jennifer Morrison, no. net worth, which is always bullshit. There's like net worth for everyone's thing. I don't. know I'd how be curious they,
1: what my net worth supposedly I didn't look.
0: is. We can look it up later. I
1: don't believe you.
0: I'm serious. That was one of them. Okay. And Jennifer, because it's if you look up anyone, there's like right. this weird networth.com. Right, right. I don't know how they're getting it, but anyways, and then Jennifer Morrison arms.
1: Jennifer and arms, well... <laughs>
0: How are they looking over there? They're looking pretty good.
1: Thanks. Uh, I, um, well, I... Uh, I
0: didn't ask you a question either. <laughs> Just making you comment right now. Just putting you on the spot. So what do you have to say for yourself well, in the I, I arm never, department? I like,
1: really intentionally did anything to have this arm situation. I, I think I'm sort of naturally prone to it. Our family is sort of naturally prone to like being muscular um and then I started boxing for a while which I really love for like emotional reasons sure (laughs) but I did start to get a little bit bulky and and I did I played a soldier like I think three or four years ago now where I kind of just really went for it and I like really was like ah I'm not gonna worry about it I'm playing a soldier and I got kind of really muscly in my arms and and I didn't love it. It was fine for the role and then I was like, wait, what do I do now? I don't want this. So, it's been kind of an aggressive process of trying to shed muscle so that it's like longer and leaner as opposed to so like Bleh. how do you shed muscle? Just eat more carbs? um it's like m- more cardio and less protein for a while to just like get your body to not keep adding muscle. Right.
0: going off of this yep. become you know feeling like you've become boring or mm-hmm. or like an old grandma mm-hmm. in in your you know coming into adulthood yeah. if you were to look back at it yeah. what would be like the two things that you feel like you've learned especially in your 30s cuz I'm yeah. asking it cuz I actually want to know yeah. and I feel like you're good with that type of advice
1: yeah i mean i I think I've learned a lot in my 30s I, I feel like that was probably the biggest stretch of growth honestly the the six years I've been away shooting in Vancouver has been I call it my my six years of solitude um <laughs> but like
0: as a tear actually, slowly no, I comes actually
1: down. I used to feel sad about it but I, I actually remember. mean that really endearingly mm. now like exactly what I was fighting and kind of scared of was exactly what I needed and I just didn't realize it um, because being there, I I was forced to deal with myself in a way that if I was in L.A. or New York, I, I wasn't. I was like – it was very easy to be distracted in either home. You know, it's like there's friends. There's people to go out with. There's movies to watch. There's plays to go to. There's stuff to do. There's always something, you know. And when I'm in Vancouver, I'm either at work or I'm home by myself. And so I – Read and I watch movies, and that's where I really discovered my love for directing and started studying the films that I loved and really got invested in that. I would never have had that time and focus if I were not alone in Vancouver. Um, And I couldn't run from myself in bad moments. So when I would have kind of a rough moment, which I always say like the first hour you get home from a set is a really dangerous time. And interestingly, I just read... Um, an article in I think it was Variety where they're talking about the psychology of artists and how when you have the creative part of your brain turned on on that level of hyper focus for so long that the shift back into like a calm sort of more normal is the wrong word but like everyday logistical place is a, is a tough transition because if you've stayed in a, for a very long time in that like hyper focused creative place it's difficult to shift back And so what happens is I'll have been on a set for 16, 17, 18 hours. I'll have been hyper, hyper focused. I I will have been putting all this creative energy into trying to be someone else for all these hours. And then I walk home into a house alone and be like, what do I do now? Like everything felt overwhelming. Everything felt like so I was super overstimulated with no nowhere to put that energy. So even though I was exhausted from my day, wanted to chill out, couldn't figure out how to shift into chill out and that would feel like a really dangerous headspace for like an hour. Um, so I had to like face that and figure it out. I had to figure out like what do I do to calm myself? What do I do to refocus and calib- recalibrate myself? What do I do that I enjoy? What is What is it that I want to look forward to when I get home? And I have had all this time to find that now, and it's made it so that I can really enjoy being alone. There's never a moment now where I'm like, oh, God, I just need to find someone to hang out with or talk to. I come home, I have so many things I want to do. I have things I'm writing. I have things I'm painting. I have things I'm listening to. I have lists of movies I'm watching. There's all these books that I'm working my way through. You know, it's like I come home and I'm so excited to do those things that I would never want to give those things up now because they feel like a part of me as opposed to coming home and feeling that panic of what now, you know? That's a long answer to that question. No, I love that.
0: I love that because it's meaningful to me, I think, in my life right now, especially in New York City. Yeah. You know, because it's me always running and always doing something. And there's always, like you said, something to do or something to see. Yeah. And it's super hard to find solitude. Yeah. Super hard. And I spent my whole life running
1: from it and now it's all I want. You embrace it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's – I love it. Yeah. It's a totally different mindset. But I guess I if I had to go back to myself like in my early 30s, I would just say, like, don't be so afraid of it. You know, actually leaning into what you're the most afraid of is probably the most productive thing you can do. Um, And I was forced to do it. It wasn't by choice, but I'm so glad it happened. So.
0: So what if the show ends? What if the show's over in April and and you are I mean, you move back to your normal life and how will you find it? How well, you, I'm trying
1: get... to not overplan. I'm, you know, yeah. I, I it's it's a hard answer to give only just because I don't know if the show is continuing right. or not. Um, but if we were going to say theoretically that it wasn't picked up, um, my goal in the next year is to try to allow for the more spontaneous, adventurous side of myself to just exist, because I don't feel like I've really mm. lived like a person for very long between house And the films that I've done and How I Met Your Mother and Once Upon a Time, it's been 12 years. It'll be 13 years straight of network television schedule plus films in the hiatus. So
0: you don't know anything other than that.
1: So, yeah, I don't know what it's like to not be so obligated to a large group of people and to not be owned. I've been owned since 2004.
0: (laughs) It's crazy to think about it like that, but it's true.
1: Yeah. And... I don't mean that in a bad way. So many amazing things have come of it, but they're...
0: Hugh Laurie owned you.
1: <laughs> well, or Fox. Somebody did. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and so... Does that make you feel uncomfortable? <laughs> I just had really weird images <laughs> when you said that.
0: Oh, my God. Does he? No, no, he doesn't. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so I'm trying to not overplan that space of time. You know, I'm trying to look at it like I'm... I'm not going to panic and jump into something that makes me busy. I'm going to try to just be and just do what yeah. I want and actually explore what it means to have that kind of freedom and and really, really think about what I commit to and what I don't commit to. You know, I mean, I'm I'm a real sucker for characters that I love. And I just need to be, I think, in the next stretch of life, like really, really discerning about how much of a commitment I'm making to what and knowing that I need to, like... Really, be a human at the same time because I haven't really had. I have these little spurts. Like I'll see friends for a day, and then I don't see friends for three months, and then I'll like like someone for a while, and we'll try to date, but I'll see them once a month for three months, and then they're annoyed. Obviously, right. <laughs> you know, and so then it's it doesn't go anywhere. It's not, you know. I, I guess it would be different. And I think this is why it was different for some of my coworkers. Most of them started the show in relationships, Mm -hmm. and they're still in those relationships.
0: Wow. That's impressive, And and so it's
1: different to sort of start something like that already having found your partner, Um, whereas, like, while you're in the midst of it, Mm -hmm. it's— How do you do it? It's—you don't. I'm (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) Um, But I've I've also kind of resigned myself to that, too, and realized that, like— there's good things about being in a hyper committed relationship, and there's also good things about being completely free and single.
0: For me, companionship in that way, and I feel like for you too, mm-hmm. has always been a big part of life. Yep. Whether it's serious or not serious. Yeah. And so how do you get around that? Or how do you how do you overcome that?
1: It's weird because I didn't deal well with it, I don't think, for a very long time. And then in the last like maybe year, year and a half, I just settled into such a better hmm. place. I think and I think, you know, you relate to this being from the Midwest, being from Chicago, like you're kind of raised in this set structure of like you know, you, you go to high school, you go to college, you come home from college, you marry someone, you have a couple kids. You A lot of people sort of settle somewhere near where they grew up. They all stay friends. You know, I see these, like, Facebook posts of people God. that I, were the same group of friends in high school. And I'm like, holy cow, this yeah. is how life goes, you I know. know? And, and that's really great for most people. Like, that really works for most people's lives. And it just wasn't how my life went. Um, but you have this weird push and pull of going into the world as someone who's looking for an adventure and looking for a certain kind of freedom creatively and personally and just wanting to go on this adventure of life. And yet you have this foundational thing like ingrained in your DNA that you're supposed to settle down, get married, have kids, do all these things, like follow the rules. So you're like, at least for me, I'm saying you. But for me, I felt like there was this like battle inside myself of going, well, I was taught one thing, but I don't know that I really want it, and I'm doing the thing I know I really want, but I feel guilty that I don't want the other thing, and so I had to kind of come to terms with that, and I had to sort of face myself again in a way where I was like, I'm really okay if I don't get married or if I don't have kids or, you know, I I might. I, I might not. You know, I just don't know, and I don't feel like either way is going to define who I am as a person, so... I think as soon as I kind of had that realization that I was okay either way and I wasn't letting anyone down and I wasn't ruining my life in some way, I was like, oh, this is kind of great. I can just be and I can just do what feels right for me. And if I get to a place where I meet someone that feels like a real partner, you know, if I find a a man that I'm attracted to who also.
0: Maybe the guy from last night at the play. (laughs) Right. Let's call him up. We have a second reason to call him up. Our duet and then you guys to right. get together.
1: <laughs> I mean, as long as it means you two can meet, it's <laughs> fine. Um, but, you know, if I find that, then I, I'm totally open to whatever that means. I just don't feel like I need that to feel like I have a good day, right. you know, like I – which I used to feel that way. I used, totally. And I, I think I put a lot of pressure on people accidentally feeling that way. So I, I it's really – nice feeling to just go like, oh, I'm okay. This is great.
0: <laughs> and your parents have made that okay for you as well? Or your family?
1: I, I think they just sort of gave up on me doing anything <laughs> normal. <laughs> like, oh,
0: whatever. Just let her do. No, I mean, it's they no love Jen. me.
1: They're so supportive. I don't mean it like in a bad way, but I just think that what they have it in their minds in a, for them in a good way because it's what worked for them, yeah. which is that if I settled down and found a good man, then my life would be good. Because that's what worked for them. And so it's just as much as it's hard for me to imagine that being exactly what it had to be. It's hard for them to imagine that for me, to be free to create and travel and be in any country I need to be to make a movie or have the time to direct another film or 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 that that's also just as important to me to have a good life. So, you know, and I think there's different seasons of life. Like listen, I could at 45 go like, "Oh, I really do want to settle down." I don't know. I don't know all I know is how I feel right now. Right. I can't guess how I'm going to feel then, you know. I
0: appreciate the fact that you are okay with it.
1: It's so just, nice. Yeah. <laughs> like I wish I could give this to other people. Yeah, right. When I see girlfriends of mine who are really stressed, <laughs> so like I'm it. like, "I wish I could hand you this right. feeling, you know?"
0: But it took a second.
1: Oh, it took more than a second. It took it took 6 years. Well, I guess, four and a half or five of the six years that I was away. But that's partly why I'm saying I feel very indebted to the show in a good way is that, like, it did something for my life that was so beyond what what the production was. I mean, the irony, or I don't know, I never quite completely understand the definition of irony, but I'm going to call it irony. Um, The irony of it is, like, fairy tales are about finding yourself and your self-identity and you go into the forest mm-hmm. and that's meant to represent your internal life and you are forced to face a death of yourself in order to find your true self and come and re-emerge from the forest in some way and wow. I literally went to a forest in Vancouver so I was emerged and in a forest where I was doing a job about fairy tales. <laughs> so I. You've
0: thought about this though.
1: Well, yeah, clearly. <laughs> That's it's, what
0: you think about when you come home at night. You're right. like, there's a fairy tale, I know, there's a script, oh my God, pacing back and forth.
1: And sometimes, also Eddie and Adam, who aren't even in Vancouver with us, they're in yeah, LA. Yeah, yeah. They're not. It's not like they're talking sure, to us sure. every day or seeing us every they day. They
0: can like read your mind somehow. There's else. stuff
1: that they will put in the script where I'm like, Are "Is my you house tapped? Kidding me? How do you know I'm going through this right now?" <laughs> I think I was born to direct.
0: And the last, the, okay, so t- tell us what you've directed.
1: I directed an independent film called Sundogs. Right. Um, and I. And this w- was your
0: directorial this, debut? This is my,
1: yeah, directorial debut with a feature. feature I, yeah, I right. directed a right. music videos and a, and a short film, but this okay. is my first feature. And um, I very, like, wrongly thought that it was going to just be like directing a long short film, <laughs> which it's not no. at all. And it's it, there were so many things along the way that have been incredibly good. I, I, I've just said it's like a roller coaster. The highs are incredibly high and the lows are incredibly low. Um, but you risk so so much to get a film like this made. I mean, every relationship in the business right. is on the line in a certain way, and every person that believes in me is on the line in a certain way, and every actor that said yes and every crew member that said yes. You know, it's like there's just at every step of the way. Every person you add, as you're going along, you start realizing, oh my gosh, now I'm I'm obligated to this person, and now I'm obligated to this person, and and maybe not everybody looks at it that way, but maybe that's the Midwest in me. I look at it like it's my job to take care of everyone and make sure that I live up to what their hopes are for right. something, and um, and then once you assemble this team, and once I was able to, you know, just going through figuring out the financing and the money and all that stuff was. I mean, we could do a whole podcast Hell. on that. But um, but after I got through all that and we were actually in physical production, you realize you've assembled 100-plus highly creative, highly sensitive people. And... What is that about
0: the creatives, that they're more sensitive than others?
1: I don't know that they're necessarily technically more sensitive. It's that what they're doing every day is so vulnerable. So you've nothing to hide behind you create something and hand it over and all you can get back is someone liking it or not right it's it's very vulnerable totally it's there's nothing quantifiable about it it's not like working somewhere where
0: it's subjective the whole thing
1: everything about it yeah. is and so and and because you feel like there's no i think most artists feel like there's no way to create without giving a part of yourself the rejection of the art feels like a rejection of yourself yeah so you're dealing with people who are putting their hearts on the line every time they offer you something or they offer something to the film. And I had to keep that in mind all the time because I, I couldn't take any of their sensitivities personally. Right. If I did, I would have crumbled a long time ago. And I had to realize that when people became highly sensitive, it was because they cared so much, not because they didn't care. And so when you when you shift your perspective to go, oh, this person's freaking out because they care, not freaking out because they're trying to make my life difficult right now, or this person's upset because they care, or because they maybe feel like what they did wasn't noticed or was rejected in some way or wasn't appreciated in some way, you know, it's like kind of assessing each sensitivity for what it really is and trying trying to navigate how much of it to caretake because at the end of the day – as the director, you're kind of, you're it. You're the caretaker. You're the person wanting to make sure everybody does feel like they've contributed something and, and that it's good and that when they feel good about that, they're going to give their best right. and better. Whereas if they feel unappreciated or ignored, even if it's accidental, they're going to underwork and they're not going to strive yeah, totally. to, to something great. So um, it just, it, it's it's just it's the politics of that sensitivity but it's also the politics of you know producers and everyone having an agenda and and i was very lucky on this i feel like all my producers were really wonderful people which you can't normally say in these situations but even admits that everyone wants something for different reasons and so it's always trying to work out like what's this really about what do you actually want Why? Why do you want that? What What's the question behind the question or the need behind the question? So it's a lot of um, chess playing, I feel like, in that way.
0: So does it make you want to do it again faster or, or like right away? Or are you like, I need a break after that because I'm...
1: I need a certain kind of break just because I've gone nonstop. Right. The last three days are the first three days that I've had to myself in two years. You know, it, it's... And, I, and I, when I say time to myself, I mean with, like, no obligation. You know, not having to show up to work at 6 a.m. and do whatever. Um, because I went from season five into pitching the movie to financiers, selling the movie, going into prep, shooting the movie, and then went back to work on Once Upon a Time season six while I was doing post. And I've flown 50,000 miles <sighs> between L.A. and Vancouver, between July and December going back and forth to do Post in LA on the film. I need a certain amount of recovery mentally <laughs> from that because I know that I'm burnt, and I know I'm That's not right. the best version of myself when I'm that burnt. Um, but what I feel like I learned the most from making the movie was that I I really want to be cautious about what I do next because it is some form of giving birth. Like, I don't have kids, so I can't say for sure, but it is so all consuming and you have to love it so much and you have to love the piece of material and every element of it so much to stick with it with that kind of commitment that I can't just say yes to something to say yes to something. It has to be because I feel like I can't not do it. So a lot of people have said like, what's the next thing I've been sent so many scripts and I felt very lucky that all these like big companies want to meet with me. and, And it's like, I want to explore what those options are, but I cannot say yes right. until it's like something I can't not do. And I want Find the next the right thing, thing to be better. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I'm very proud of the film, and and I feel really good about what we made. And yeah. When
0: can people see it? So actually, screw that. When can I see
1: it? In January.
0: <laughs> when can people see it?
1: Whenever it gets accepted to a festival. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Will.
0: All right, let's go eat. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> and just like that another episode of the drop-in is in the can it is in the can we did it uh next week we have an all-new episode of the drop-in for you until then check back on season one and other episodes from season two of the drop-in if you haven't listened and do me a favor when you're done rate and review them on the apple podcast app and remember Follow at Will Malnati and at Will Radio on Instagram and Twitter. We'll see you next week. My name's Nico Tortorella. Listen to my podcast called The Love Bomb, where we celebrate love right here every Tuesday on At Will Radio.